to try and uh, shift it away from the, the retail circus that it's becoming into something that, that more uh, adequately reflects the heart of God. Uh, something that, that is more uh, in line with Christ's arrival uh, in humility and sacrifice. And uh, so this uh, Advent conspiracy was started and we signed on this year and there are thousands of churches that are now participating in this and, and it, it is sort of represented by the four tenets Then we worked through the first two, worship fully and spend less. Uh, today is give more and then on Tuesday on Christmas Eve, services here, 3.30, 5.30, 10 o'clock, Highland Park at 5.30. Uh, we're going to take the last tenet, which is love all. Today, as we think about giving more, I want to uh, read a parable from Christ found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and following. Um, let me just say that you are to be expected uh, to be confused by this passage. It's not very Christmassy. Uh, it doesn't seem like it goes with the Advent conspiracy. Uh, it doesn't go with giving more. I'll, I'll explain all of that. What you need to know right now, this is Jesus teaching. It's in a series of parables that he gave. And he says this to a rather large crowd. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Um, so as compared with, with Paul, who's an expert in the law and who gives us very sort of tightly reasoned Arguments, very sort of thick, dense, logical expositions. Jesus tells stories and he uses illustrations. And the particular kind of illustrative stories that he uses are called parables. Uh, they were commonly used by rabbis or sort of allegories. Jesus happens to be the master of telling parables. So this, a parable is, is, a, is a story that's making a moral point, and the moral point sort of is usually pretty forceful. And, and Jesus has given us the most famous parables, right? The prodigal son, the parable of the four soils, the parable of the good Samaritan, uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the parable of the talents. All these are, are parables that Christ gave. And, and he, he usually used them when he had large crowds, and he, he gave them in times when he might have some hostility against him, because the interpretation was a little bit veiled. And in Mark 4, he explains this a little more. Sometimes he's, he's being a, a bit obtuse on purpose, because he wants people to have to think. But he's on record as saying, those that are truly seeking God, the, the point will bubble up. So um, we're, we're looking for that point in these two parables, which really function as one. They're making the same point. And in order to understand them, there's, there's two sort of big ideas that we have to unpack just a little bit. Uh, the first is the biggest, and it is about the kingdom of heaven. He opens saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Later, a kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
So um, the kingdom of heaven, or also the kingdom of God, these terms are used synonymously. The kingdom of, of heaven or of God refers to the, the, the area, to the people who are seeking to obey the rule of the king. Right? I mean, a kingdom is that region where the king's rules are in effect. And so the kingdom of God is that area that it's, it's made up of those people who are seeking to follow the rules of Christ, who are seeking to lean into the teaching of Christ, to embrace his ethic, to, to follow him and, and sort of love him and love others and serve others ahead of themselves. These are, the, these are the aspects of the kingdom. And Jesus introduced the kingdom when he showed up as an infant. And through his life, through his teaching, through his death, uh, he introduces or inaugurates the kingdom uh, of heaven, the kingdom of God. And right now we are living uh, in a time in which we are expected to advance that kingdom. We are expected to lean into it. Right? We are to proclaim the good news and engage in good works so that others will come to understand what Christ is offering. And, and we're, to, we're to follow this upside-down ethic of putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves. We're to, we're, we're to embrace the things that Christ taught. And when he returns, then the, the rest of the, the kingdom sort of comes in its fullness. Advent is, is about preparing for his coming, and we look backwards to his first coming. But Advent is also a season in which we are to look ahead to his promised return. And when he comes in power, he showed up initially as a child in weakness and sacrifice and humility. When he returns, it will be as a king in power, and he will, he will bring the rest of his kingdom. Right now, we live in what theologians will refer to as the, as the now and not yet. Okay? There are aspects of the kingdom that are in place, but not all of them. And, and so we can lean into some. And, and you see uh, that in the now, there are, there are things that were already have already been inaugurated because Christ came the first time. For instance, we can be forgiven. Right? We, we can have our moral debt erased. Everything that, that you have done wrong, all the shame, all the guilt, everything I have done wrong, all of the sin, all of that moral debt is forgiven when we come to place our faith in Christ. Right? That's, that's part of the kingdom that is already here. And additionally, it's not just that. It's not just that we get to zero, right? It's that when we come to, to faith in Christ, we get credit for his fulfilling the law. Paul writes about this in Romans 4, writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5, right? It's, it's that we, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me in my sin, he sees me as one who has Christ's good works in his account. It's um, 
finals week was last week for lots of students. I had two sons who had finals last week. So let's put it in terms of being a student. When you're going to take the final exam, one of the things that generally you have working against you is your midterm score, right? And the, the grade on, on the paper that you turned in late, right? And the assignment that you forgot and all the mistakes. So you don't go into a final exam at zero. You go into a final exam with bad marks already accrued. You've got to make up ground just to get where you want to be. Okay, well, forgiveness means no. No bad marks on your score. The D minus you got on the midterm is not weighing you down. Okay? You are starting at zero. The righteousness that is imputed to our account, that is credited to us, means Jesus took the midterm. Right? It's his perfect score that you carry forward. It's, it's, it's a perfect all A's going into the final exam. Right? It's better than just starting at zero. That is, that is what we get. That's part of the kingdom that is already in place. Now, we're not perfect. right? We're not acting 100% righteous. But, but when God looks at our account, we've already been credited the, the fact that Christ actually fulfilled the law. Additionally, we're accepted. Right? We, we, we can come boldly before God in prayer. It, it's a, I've shared this before, but you know, whoever's in the service, we gather just before the service is going to begin to make sure everybody's here and you're going to do this and then we transition to that and then this is going to happen and let's do the mic checks and all those kinds of things happen. And we also pray. And, and one of the things that, we, that I generally pray, one of the things I always say in that prayer is, Father, we come to you as broken, sinful people. We are not qualified to lead other people in, in spiritual matters. We are disqualified on our own merit, but we come to you boldly in the name of Christ. In the, in the righteousness of Christ, we come with confidence to ask that you would use even us because we know that in Christ we're accepted, right? And, and there's other things that, that, that the kingdom brings. It, it brings the possibility of getting better. There's progress that can happen. Again, we can't change our heart, but there are things that we can do that will position us so that God changes our heart. And we have gifts and abilities that, 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 that have been given to us by the Spirit of God to allow us to do things that matter, in the Old Testament, right, the Holy Spirit would be poured out selectively, usually on some kings and on prophets, occasionally on some artisans and others. But it was just for a time to do certain things. But we're told by Jeremiah the prophet that, that in the future, right, when the king comes, then the Spirit of God will be poured out on all his people. And we're told by Paul that we all, all of us, have gifts and abilities that God has given to us to be used for the benefit of others to advance the kingdom. We're living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ in the now and not yet, but we have an opportunity to make a difference with our lives, to do things that matter for eternity. Now, let there be no mistake, this is a broken world. Right? This is not, not what we are looking for. We look forward 
to the, to the time when God sets everything right. When there is no more sinning and no more suffering and no more despair and no more depression and no more illness. When there's no more war and no more racism and ethnic strife. When, when there's no more death. We look forward to a future that, that, is, that is what we long for. But right now we are in the now and not yet. And the kingdom of God is spreading and we have an opportunity to be part of it. So. Big topic, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, big topic. All of that and a whole lot more is all captured when Jesus is saying to the, to the crowd, the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure or it's like a pearl. So the first thing you need a little bit of background on is what that kingdom refers to. The second thing is buried treasure because he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And what you need to understand is, uh, 2,000 years ago, you, it was very common for you to bury your valuables, right? In a world before safety deposit boxes and banks, right? In a world before alarm systems, in a world when you lived in a, in a, you know, in a little uh, mud uh, brick hut that has a door that you can't lock, okay, if you have valuables, you can't just leave them lying around. You have to secure them. How do you secure them? Often you would bury them. So there was a lot of buried treasure around, right? In part because uh, some people would bury their treasure and then they couldn't find it. Right? I mean, it could happen to you. Uh, I had a guy come in a number of years ago and he said, I have a very serious prayer request and you're going to laugh at me, but I really need you to pray. He goes, 20 years ago, I bought gold, a lot of gold. And he goes, it's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars today. I buried it, and I can't find it. And he said, I have been looking for weeks. I have been digging up everywhere. I can't find it. Would you pray that I can find the gold? Uh, he did find it, lest you... You know, try and strong arm me to find out who it was and start digging up their yard. So um, you could lose it. Uh, what was more common is that you would die without having told anyone where it was. So what we have in this particular parable, Jesus is talking about somebody uh, who the field is for sale. So obviously, if, if you have a field for sale, you would have un dug up your treasure before you would be selling it. And there's a guy, obviously some sort of hired uh, person who's been hired or he's rented out the land in order to grow crops. And he's plowing the field and he finds this treasure. And he realizes the field's for sale. He does the math very quickly and he's figured this out, right? I would be a fool not to sell everything I have and go after this treasure. Now, there's two parables here. Let me read them again now that we've got a little context. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These are, these are functioning as one parable. They're making one point. The differences between the first and the second 
stories is that in the, the first one, the person wasn't looking for treasure. In the second one, they were. It's a, it's a jeweler, it's a merchant, it's a trader, right? This is, this is a treasure hunter. And, and they're looking to find, and when they found this pearl of great value, they, their quest was fulfilled. And this, this not looking and actively looking sort of reflects the two postures we can have towards God. Right? Some people are not looking for God when he gets their attention. This would be Paul's situation, right? Paul has got other plans in mind. When Jesus knocks him off the horse, blinds him, and speaks audibly for heaven. That's a dramatic God finding somebody. It, I've not heard it happening that way very often. But often, God gets people's attention by a crisis in their life. So people don't know that there's something missing. People don't know they should be looking. And, and God comes after them. Other people are looking, are searching. It's the difference that's set up here. The thing that they both have in common is that when the treasure is found, right, they sell everything they have in order to get it. They recognize that what they have is of unbelievable value, and so they go after it. And, uh, and, and that, is the, that is the message that Christ is giving. He is saying, right, the kingdom of heaven, a relationship with God, is worth everything we've got. And, and we would be a fool to find it and to not understand that and go after it. If we gain the whole world but lose our soul, we've lost. If we sell everything we have in order to secure that, that's a good trade. Right? That's the point that Jesus is making. And, and he, he makes it as forcefully as he can. And uh, it's, it's sort of reinforced by the Apostle Paul later on in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul writes and says, uh, verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. It's that imputed righteousness. It's that positive credit that is given to us. Um, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and sharing of his sufferings becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is saying, look, when you discover ultimate reality, when you discover the highest good, when you discover the source of, of everlasting joy, right, then you run towards that. You give up whatever is slowing you down in order to move towards that. You sell everything to buy the field to get the treasure. Now, please, please understand, the, the point that is being made here, the, the kingdom that is being discussed here is not 
a spiritual kingdom as opposed to a physical one. Okay, the, the, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of confusion that exists 2,000 years after the Greeks sort of pushed us in the wrong direction. We look forward right, to a physical resurrection. Jesus physically conquered death. He rose again. The grave was empty. And, and, and the physical world is good. It's, it's not bad. The contrast that is made here is not between a physical and a spiritual kingdom. The contrast that's being made here is between an eternal and a temporal kingdom. Right? And, and, and the point is, right, you go after eternal good as opposed to temporal good. Right? You, want, you want to live today in light of eternity, not simply in light of the next 50 years. We're looking for the long-term reward, and that is what we find in the eternal life that comes in a relationship by coming to faith in Christ and following him. And that kingdom should start today. Now, one, one other thing that I, I need to make clear here uh, before we turn to the Advent conspiracy, and that is that... that um, you can't push a parable too far. Right? A parable makes one point, not five. And so I want to be real clear that the point of the parable is not that we buy our relationship with God. On the one hand, they, they, he sells everything to buy the field so that he gets the treasure. and the other one, he sells everything to buy the, the, the pearl of great price. So that's not the way the relationship works. Uh, we can't buy it. We can't earn it. Uh, we can't contribute to it. It's a free gift. Uh, Merry Christmas. That, that's, I mean, that's the good news, is that, is that everything that has to be done for us to, to be part of an eternal kingdom of God, forgiven, declared righteous, accepted, everything that has to be done has been done by Christ in his life and his death on the cross. And so what we do here is celebrate. And, and don't try and force the parable to make more points than it, than it should, but be sure you get the point it does make. Right? The kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything else we have. We run after a relationship with God. And that is uh, then what gets us around to this idea of the Advent conspiracy and the themes that are being developed here. First of all, it's worship fully, right? Um, we're, not, we're not told to worship because we always worship. We just, we just don't worship fully. And the invitation here is to say, look, this, this Advent, don't reserve your highest praise and awe over you know, the iPad Air or uh, whatever he buys at Jared or uh, the, the latest uh, computer uh, video game technology, right? Don't, don't be overwhelmed by that. Be overwhelmed by the idea that the creator of heaven and earth showed up in a, in a cow barn 2,000 years ago in order to die in your place so that you get heaven, Right? If you want to be in awe of something, that is what we ought to be in awe of. 
Let's make Christmas bigger than it is as opposed to small. It's much bigger than the latest technology. It's much grander and more majestic than the, than the, than the best gift that we can buy at the mall. Worship fully. Spend less, right? Don't, don't let the value of, of a gift be tied to the amount of money that you, that you spend on it, right? Understand that the values of gifts come out of relationships. And, and so think differently about uh, how you are going to spend your money. Don't get sucked into the retail circus just because. Be more thoughtful. When, uh, when Sherry and I were, were dating in the first couple years we were married, we had a $5 limit on presents. That's because we had no money. <laughs> uh, we were not poor because um, we, w- this, was a, this was a phase, right? We knew that this was part of being students, and then it's part of starting out. And we had parents that we knew we could call if we were truly in a crisis, and we, there was access to money. But we didn't have any money. And we really didn't have any money. So there were times when, you know, you finish dinner and we're both still hungry because we don't have enough money to buy as much food as we wanted to eat. This wasn't we're hungry because we're on a diet. This is we're hungry because we can't buy enough food. And we'd have, we were working in college ministry the first couple of years. We'd have students over. We could give them one cup of coffee, but not two, right? You know, you go, no, it's not in the budget. We have a very tight budget. So we didn't have any money. So we set a $5 limit on presents. And I can tell you many of the presents that she gave me, right, because they were things she had to make or they were things she had to, she had to think a long time about in order for them to happen, right? And that's, that's where gifts take on greater value. They come out of a relationship. Think of the, think of the things, some of the things that you treasure in most homes, all, all the original artwork, right, is done by people under the age of 10, right? And, and you hold on to those things because they, they have great value because of who made them. For, for 10 years, maybe 15 years, my dad had this little strip of plywood that he kept on, on the ledge above his tie rack. And probably when I was eight years old, I got a wood-burning kit. And I cut a piece of plywood with a handsaw. You can imagine how hideous this thing was, right? I mean, with a handsaw, I'm eight. I cut a little strip of plywood. And then I started but didn't finish writing World's Greatest Dad on it. And I threw it away because I was just so bad. And he pulled it out of the garbage. And he put it above his, his tie rack. And I threw it away again. I said, Dad, that's too bad. And he goes, no, 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 this is a great gift. Right? So spend less. And spend less. The, the specific ask, I mean, part of the motivation here is spend less so that you can give more. And in particular, you can give some things that people really need to those who are, who are suffering, to those who suffer want, and we've talked about 
uh, Ghana in particular as, as the third sort of wave of, of where we've said, look, you could save your money and do this. We did Operation Christmas Child, and then we did uh, the Angel Tree Families, and now it's this cuvee, this village in Ghana, and we're saying we can give them fresh water, we can, we can build a school, uh, you know, desks, we can get bikes for pastors so they can get around. There's things that we can do that actually are significant, helpful gifts. So spend less, give more, and then, as I said, uh, next week we're going to look at love all. Now, let me wrap this up by, um, by just clearing up a couple things that, that I'm hearing about the Advent conspiracy. Most of the things that have been shared with me are very positive. People are saying, you know, yes, it's, it's a little bit out of control. And it's a little bit too much driven by Wall Street and Walmart. And we need to turn, we need to alter the course, you know, five or ten degrees. That would be a good thing. We're in. But there's three questions or complaints or whatever that have come my way. Clearly, the most common is it's too late, right? I've already bought all the presents. You, this idea is you're giving it to us way too late. Uh, and, okay, don't worry about that. Uh, this is not simply a one-time event, right? This is not let's fix Christmas 2013. This is a long-term effort to try and reposition Christmas. For the record, we've been messaging this in various ways since June. But it's very hard to get your attention. Uh, and so uh, now I, we've got your attention and you go, too late. Uh, okay, don't worry. It's, it's a, it's a long-term project. The second um, pushback is from some have been, you know, the whole Advent conspiracy idea seems to suggest that economics is a zero-sum game. That, that the reason that, that uh, we have to give up some gifts is because we've taken gifts from other people. And that's not the way economics works. I agree. Economics is not a zero-sum game. The reason some people are starving is not because we're eating too much, right? We, we can grow enough food for everybody. The reason people are suffering uh, desperate want in North Korea has nothing to do with the fact that we have so many things in the United States. People are suffering in North Korea because of incredibly incompetent, dysfunctional, selfish government. Uh, we're not taking things out of their hand. That's not the way global economics works. But it is the way budgets work, right? So if, if you have X dollars to spend on Christmas and you spend X dollars on Sally and Jim, then that's money you don't have to spend in other ways. And so we've come along and said, look, this isn't a, a new ask. We're not going after different money. We're saying Let's reposition some of the money we plan on spending on Christmas. Let's give more of ourselves, more relational gifts, right? So, so kids, fathers, you know, take your kids sledding and, uh, you know, call your mom and say, let's get together and watch that movie that you want me to watch, right? I mean, there's just a variety of things that are free, that are memories. Do those kinds of things and repurpose some of the money uh, towards people 
that have needs. And so you're giving a card, as you've got in your bulletin. You could give a card to someone, as we'll give to, I'll give to my parents, saying, your presence are under someone else's tree, right? Uh, in, in your name, we're doing, we're buying desks. In your name, we're helping dig uh, wells in, in Kuve. And that's sort of the idea behind this. Yes, economics is not a zero-sum game, but many budgets are. Um, they need to balance. And then finally, uh, I've got a number of people who have said, okay, so you're saying spend less, give more. You've got to be more specific. Spend less than what? Spend less than last year, spend less than they spend on me, uh, spend less than I plan to, give more than what? Give more than I want to? <laughs> I go, no. I, I'm not answering those questions, right? That, 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 I, we're not trying to micromanage anybody's holiday. It's a big idea, right? And the big idea is captured in these ideas. Worship fully. Right? Make the thing you marvel at, the gift of God's Son, and the eternal life that can be ours through what he did. The incarnation is something to marvel at. And spend less on people that are going to get gifts that they won't think twice about. Make memories. Give more of yourself. Repurpose some of that money to people in significant need. And then love all. Again, you'll have to come back for that one. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your 